Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Gilbert Church. Really good to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. Hey, before I dive in, just a couple quick announcements for you. We have 40 Norwegian pastors visiting our church here this week. Maybe there's one of you back there. Uh, Thanks for being here. To those of you who are from Norway, we're grateful to have you with us. We're trying to provide some training for them uh, to help them get better at what they do. The country of Norway, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Probably less than 5% of the people there uh, have put their faith in Jesus Christ, but there's some incredible churches that we're working with uh, to change that, and they're growing, and they're reaching a lot of young people in a way that's pretty exciting. So thank you to those of you who give to this church. Uh, You've been making that possible for them to visit us this week. Also wanted to give you an update on the country of Haiti. As many of you know, we are significant partners with an organization called Healing Haiti, And Healing Haiti provides an orphanage, they've got a church, and they bring clean drinking water to impoverished neighborhoods in that country. Wanted to let you know that their staff and their buildings were spared in Hurricane Matthew. They weren't damaged at all. But as many of you know, the rest of the country didn't fare so well. And so right now, Healing Haiti is agreeing that 100% of what you give to them will go to relief efforts. So it goes to food, supplies, materials to rebuild people's homes and rebuild people's lives. We really believe in being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in situations like this and showing the practical love of God. And so if you're interested in being a part of it, you can text the word Haiti to 555-888 or you can go on our website, eaglebrookchurch.com backslash Haiti. All right, we are in the second week of a series called Dangerous Prayers because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I pray things like, Lord, be with me. Bless me, help me, and those are fine prayers, but those aren't the kind of prayers that we're going to be looking at in this series. These aren't safe prayers, vague prayers, or easy prayers. We're calling them dangerous prayers. And so last week we looked at the dangerous prayer of, Lord, search me. That's a dangerous prayer. To ask Almighty God to search your heart and to reveal what's there, that's a little bit scary. But praying that prayer is what led many of you to uncover sin and find forgiveness in a way that maybe you never had before. Today's prayer is, Lord, change me. That too is a dangerous prayer. And it's dangerous because we don't always like change, and sometimes change is hard. We'll say we're okay with change, but we're not. We'll say we're going to change, but we don't. When my wife and I moved into our house about seven years ago, the master bedroom was on the main level, but we wanted to be up closer to our little kids, and so we took one of the bedrooms upstairs. But then this past summer, my wife insisted it was time to move our bedroom far away from the little kids. And I was totally fine with that part of it, but I said I was okay with the change, but deep down, I really wasn't. It's because I knew if we switched rooms, I was going to have a hard time sleeping for at least a month. You see, I am the most high-maintenance sleeper you have ever met. Okay, I sleep with a fan and a sound machine. Middle of January, I got the fan on. I've got the sound machine set to rain sounds right by my ear. I have room darkening shades and room darkening drapes. They both have to be the blackout kind. And as if that isn't enough, before I go to bed, I will take the throw pillows off of our bed and I will use them to pin the drapes up against the wall so that no crack of light can get in. This drives my wife crazy. She hates it and says it looks ugly with throw pillows pinned up all around the room. But what other purpose do throw pillows serve? We have six throw pillows on our bed. Every night we take the throw pillows off 
And then every morning we pick them up and put them back on the bed. They serve no purpose whatsoever. Men, can I get an amen? Amen. I don't get it at all. But my wife says they look pretty and I need to stop. I say throw pillows are Satan's idea to ruin marriages and waste people's time. That's what I say. Now, of course, I've promised my wife that I'm going to stop with this, but I don't. Uh, It's all empty promises. In fact, my wife got so fed up with me that she finally bought me one of these things. This might be the change that I need in my life. I haven't used it yet. We'll see. Now, here's my point. I say I'm going to change, but I don't. I say I'm okay with change, but I'm really not sometimes. And isn't that how most of us are? We'll say things like this. I'm going to start to eat healthy and exercise more. Well, that lasts for about two weeks. Or we say, you know what? I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to give God the first part of my day. And then a week later, we're back to hitting the snooze again. Or we promise people in our life that we love. We'll say things like this. I'm going to change. I'm never going to lose my temper like that again. But we do. I'm never going to drink again, but we do. I'm never going to, you fill in the blank, but you do. Anything like that in your life right now? Where you say you're going to change, there's part of you that genuinely does want to change, but you don't. It's because change is really hard. Or maybe you're on the other end of that equation. And you're the one who's listening to your spouse or your parents or your kids or your siblings. And they're saying things to you like, I promise you I'm going to change. It's going to be different this time. This time is different. I promise. But you've heard all of that before. And what you've discovered is it's hard to change a person who's unwilling to change themselves. People who are comfortable in the state that they are in generally don't change all that much. It's kind of like a pig I was reading an article recently about micro-pigs. I don't know if you've heard of these or not, but they're becoming very popular pets. Paris Hilton has one. Apparently, so does Miley Cyrus. I'm told they're very clean. You can even give them a bath. And they become about the size of a cocker spaniel. Here's a picture of a micro-pig, in case you're interested. This is by far the cutest picture we could find of a micro-pig. But buyer beware. This woman thought she was buying a micro-pig. <laughs> When she ordered one online, who would do that? And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And so finally she took it to the vet. The vet said, this is not a micro pig. This is a part boar, part Vietnamese pot-bellied pig. So now she's got a 500-pound boar walking around her living room with a tutu on. Now, here's the thing about pigs. Here's the thing about pigs. They like pig styes. Do you know why? It's because pigs don't sweat. Why would they? Life's pretty relaxed if you're a pig. I mean, you just sit around, eat what you want all day long. You don't shower. You hang out with people who look and smell just like you. That's the life of a pig. It's also the life of a teenage boy, but that's for a different, (laughs) different message. But pigs are, because they can't sweat, in order to cool themselves down, they get into their own sty. That's where they're the most comfortable. Some people have become the same way. They're comfortable in their own mess. They're comfortable in their own dysfunction. They'll say they want to change, and there's a part of them that really does. 
But there's another part of them deep down inside that says, you know, I don't know if I do. I'm kind of comfortable in the state that I'm in. So the question I want to ask you today is this. Is there a part of your life that you want to change? Is there a part of your life that you need to change? And do you want it? Do you really want it? Because if you don't want it, nothing is going to happen. That's what makes this such a dangerous prayer. Lord, change me. Because if you really mean it, God might just answer it. And are you okay with that? In fact, here's what I want you to hear today. Jesus Christ can change your life in the best of possible ways. Maybe you came to church today or you're watching this message online. And lately you've been so stressed out. And you've been irritable and you've been crabby and you've been grumpy. And you take it out on the people that you love the most. I want you to hear Jesus Christ can change your life. Maybe you came today and you said, you know what, my marriage is just failing You need to know that Jesus Christ can change your marriage. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction or deep into sexual sin. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or what has been done to you. Jesus Christ can change your life. He's been doing it for thousands of years, and he can do it for you as well. In fact, I want to take you to a story in the New Testament where Jesus changes a man's life. We'll pick things up in John chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now let me show you a picture of the pool of Bethesda so you can kind of get an idea of what this looks like. As you can see, there was actually two pools and they weren't small. They were rather large. They were surrounded on each side by these covered porch areas with these columns or colonnades. By the way, for years, scholars who were skeptical of the Bible said, the pool of Bethesda doesn't exist. The Bible's wrong, it's mistaken. John, or whoever wrote the Gospel of John, didn't know what he was talking about. It doesn't even exist. And then in the 19th century... Archaeologists found the pool of Bethesda, and guess what? It's as exactly as John described it to be. This is one of the reasons why I love the Bible. Because every decade or so, an archaeologist discovers something that validates the historical reliability of this book. Back to John chapter 5. Next verse, verse 3, says this. Crowds of sick people... Blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches. So going back to the picture, you can see that apparently paralyzed, blind, lame people, they would sit in the shade underneath this porch. Next verse. It says this, One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew how long he had been ill, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I want you to think about that question for just a moment. Because this guy's been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and he goes, would you like to be well? I mean, there's no such thing as a dumb question, but seriously, Jesus? I mean, of course he wants to be well, right? Well, not necessarily. See, Jesus understood something about human beings. We may say we want to change. There may be part of us that wants to change. But sometimes we really don't. And so Jesus is saying to this man, do you want it? Do you really want it? Because if you don't want it, 
Nothing is going to happen. The man replies back to Jesus this way. He says, I can't, sir. In other words, I can't get well. I want to, but I can't. He says, for I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm trying to get there, someone else always gets in ahead of me. Now let me explain this to you. Because in the pool of Bethesda, occasionally, the waters would get stirred up. Biblical scholars today believe that there was a natural spring underneath these pools, and when the spring would bubble up, the water would get stirred. But back then, they thought an angel of the Lord was stirring up the waters. And so the superstition was that if you were the first one into the pool, after the waters got stirred, you would get healed. So here's this paralyzed man, and he says to Jesus, yeah, I want to get well, but I'm paralyzed, and so somebody always beats me into the pool. Ever felt that way before? Ever felt like someone's always beating you to what you wanted? Seems like someone always gets promoted before I do. Seems like someone else is always able to have kids before we can. Seems like someone else always gets the starting position that I really wanted. Is there something in your life where you go, you know, that's what I want, but someone always seems to beat me into the pool. And notice how this paralyzed man is thinking. He's thinking, if I can just get into the pool, then I think I'd be really happy. In modern day terms, we might say something like this. You know, if I could just get a raise, make a few thousand more, I mean, then I'd be set. If I could just get married, if we could just get that house, you know, then I think we'd really be happy. We tend to think that happiness is found in the pool. But look at what Jesus says next to this man. He says, stand up. Pick up your sleeping mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up the mat and he began walking. This man thought that the change that he wanted was to be found in the pool. But the change that he wanted was actually to be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the same is true for you and for me today. Friends, the change that you want in your life, it's not found in the pool. It's not out there in the things of this world or the circumstances of this world. It is found in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, in our time left, I want to show you three ways that you can begin to open yourself up to the life-changing power that only Christ can offer you in your life. All of them are from this verse. Here's the first way. you got to stand up. That's the first thing that Jesus says to this man. Stand up. Now again, this guy had been paralyzed for 38 years. That's 13,870 days. 13,870 days of trying different medicines, consulting with different doctors, hoping you can be the first one to get into the pool. After 13,870 days, you start to think things are never going to change. And maybe that's what you believe today. Maybe you believe, you know what, things are never going to change. My marriage, it's never going to change. I mean, I'm telling you, we fight about the same stuff day after day, week after week. It is never going to change. My health is never going to change. I mean, I've tried every medication. I've consulted with every doctor. It's just not going to change. My parents or my siblings, they're never going to come to Christ. 
I mean, they are never going to change. It's impossible. I believe that Jesus Christ would say to you today that what may seem impossible to you is not impossible for him. He would say, stand up. In other words, take some action, do something. For Labor Day this past year, our family went to the state fair. And I haven't been to the state fair since I was in college. My kids have never been. And so we kind of felt like we needed to eat every food that was there. So we had fried pickles, fried alligator, which is actually quite good, bacon-wrapped tater tots. We had corn dogs, vanilla shakes, sweet Martha's cookies, and last but not least, cheese curds. After I ate the cheese curds, I thought I was going to fall asleep. I mean, I was just sitting at the picnic table when all of a sudden I look over and I realize that my wife and kids have wandered over to the Army-Navy display. And so I walk over there, and they've got this whiteboard that says, today's record. And then it says, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and planking. They had four different categories that people at the fair could compete in to see who got that day's record. And so my 11-year-old son, Micah, gets down and starts doing sit-ups. And while the Navy recruiter is holding his feet down, he's got two minutes to try to beat that day's record of 98 sit-ups. This wasn't just a kid contest. This was kids and adults. And so I'm looking at that and I'm going, no way. I mean, it's impossible. But a little over a minute in, he was at 68 sit-ups. And now I'm starting to get into it a little bit. I'm kind of yelling at him and I'm like, you got this. Keep going. You're only 30 off the fair record. Which... Who cares? I mean, looking back on it, not that big of a deal, but I got kind of into this thing. And so Micah looks at me, and he's got this contorted look on his face, and somehow he finds an extra gear and gets 99 sit-ups in two minutes. Got his name on the whiteboard that day, 99 for Micah. That was the day's record. Now, here's my point. Micah could have sat next to me on the picnic table and just let the cheese curd comatose set in. <laughs> he could have looked at that number and said, there's no way I can do 98 sit-ups in two minutes. But instead, he stood up. He sat up. And in two minutes, he accomplished something great. There are some of us here today who need to stand up. You say, you know what? My marriage is never going to change. Stand up. Go see a counselor. I know you don't want to talk to someone else about your problems, but be open to the idea that maybe a third party could help you. What if you started to pray together before bed every single night, and you just begin to pray and ask that God would change your marriage? Two minutes a night could be the miracle that you need. Some of us think, you know what, my parents, my, my kids, they're never going to come to faith in Christ. It's just impossible. Stand up. Start praying for them every single day. Start inviting them to church. Start sending them messages and say, hey, you might want to listen to this. I think you're going to enjoy it. Some of us think, you know, I'm never going to find a good friend group. Seems like everybody else has these close friends and, and I'm just lonely and feel disconnected. Stand up. If you're in college, go to your campus's college ministry, like inner varsity or crew, get involved. If you're in middle school or high school, Come to Rev or Ground Zero on Wednesday nights. 
Don't just sit at home watching TV and texting people. Get here. God can bring about a change in your life, but you've got to take some action. You've got to stand up. In fact, whenever Jesus healed someone, oftentimes he would have them do an action that accompanied it. He would say, pick up your mat. He would say, stand up. He would say, stretch out your hand or dip your foot into the pool. There was some action that went along with his healing. God can change your life, but you've got to stand up. Second way that you can open yourselves up to God's life-changing power is this. Burn your bridge. So Jesus says to this man, he says, stand up. And then next he tells him, pick up your sleeping mat. In other words, I'm not giving you the option of going back to your old life. It's not like, well, you can try to stand up, but if that doesn't work, just go ahead and lay back down on your sleeping mat. Jesus is like, no. You're you're picking that up. You're taking that with you. You're burning your bridge. Pastor Greg Laurie travels around the country, and he does these crusades where he invites people to put their faith in Christ for the first time. And in the 80s, he did this crusade where a drug dealer responded to the message, came down front to give his life to Christ. And as this drug dealer was talking to the counselor, he reached in his pocket and handed him his pager. Now let me explain to you what a pager is. Because some of you are like, is that an app for when you lose your iPhone? No, back in the olden days, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, they would page you. And, And a pager was about the size of a cell phone, but it was a little less sophisticated. And their number would pop up on your pager. And then you would have to go to a pay phone where you had to have actual coins. You say, is this like back when Jesus lived with gold coins? No, 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 it actually wasn't that long ago. And you'd use the pay phone to call them back. So this guy hands his pager to the counselor. Why? Because that's how he used to do drug deals. If someone wanted to buy drugs from him, they would page him, and that's how he would get them their drugs. And so when he handed the pager to the counselor, he was basically saying, I'm burning the bridge. I'm not giving myself the option of going back to my own life, my old life. The next day, the counselor called this guy up on the phone and to see kind of how he was doing spiritually, and he says, what are you up to? Drug dealer goes, oh, I'm, I'm out mowing my grass. Counselor said, oh, doing some yard work? He said, no, I'm mowing my grass. I'm mowing down my marijuana plants. <laughs> I love that. There is a guy who's burning the bridge. He's saying, you know what, I'm not giving myself the option of going back to that old life. Anyone here today need to burn a few bridges? Anyone need to throw that person's number away? Anyone need to say, you know what, I'm not going to hang out with that group of friends anymore. I mean, I know I've been hanging out with them since high school, but they're just not a good influence on my life, and I need to get on the path that God wants for me. I need to step away from my old life. Anyone need to say, you know what, I'm not going to go back to my old boyfriend or girlfriend next time. I'm done with that. I'm going to step into the life that Jesus Christ wants for me. I'm going to burn that bridge. There's an old hymn that said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. There's some of you here today who need to say that. You need to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. I'm going to burn the bridge. Here's the third way to open yourselves up to God's life-changing power. It's this. Take it step by step. 
So Jesus says to this man, he says, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and then he says, walk. Now, I don't want to read too much into Jesus' words here, but he doesn't say run. He doesn't say sprint. He simply says walk. In other words, take it step by step. So what is that area of your life that needs to change? Have you identified it yet? How are you going to change? The answer is you're going to take it step by step. The day before I was working on this message, I was with one of my sons at the YMCA, and we were playing basketball together. He was shooting. I was rebounding for him. And at one point, I got so frustrated by the form on his shot that I said some really harsh things to him. We got to the car afterwards, and my son, who's becoming more godly than I am, goes, Dad, thank you so much for bringing me to the Y. And right away, I felt it. And I said, son, you treat me way better than I deserve. I said, I never should have spoken so harshly to you back there. And he said, it's, it's okay, Dad. Dad, don't worry about it. I said, no, it's not. I need to change. Sometimes I'm that dad who's in his son's ear telling him what he's doing wrong and what he could be doing differently. Isn't that great to have someone around you all the time saying, oh, you can do that. Well, here, here's what you're doing wrong on that. I need to change. But how is that going to happen? It's going to happen step by step. What are those steps? If you're taking notes, you may want to jot these down. Step number one is this. Be aware that what you're doing is wrong. Some of us aren't there yet. Your words hurt people. Your behavior is destructive to you and to your loved ones. And you don't see it. It's what Bob talked about last week with blind spots. You need to invite people who are close to you into your life and you need to ask them this question, what do I need to change? It's the first step. You've got to be aware of it. Step number two, don't blame others. I was listening to a message by my friend Greg Speck recently, and he was speaking at a marriage conference, and so at the end of his message, he had married couples hold each other's hands and close their eyes and pray for their marriage. But he gave them some instructions. He said to the husbands, he said, first, I want you to pray that God would change you. And then after that, I want you to pray that God would change your marriage. He said to the wives, he said, I want you to first pray that God would change you. And then next, I want you to pray that God would change your marriage. Greg said that whenever he's done this before with a group of people, inevitably there will be one couple where when they will open up their eyes, one of the spouses will go, it's my fault. It's my fault. And sometimes the other one will go, no, 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 it, it, it's, it's really my fault. I love that. How many of us think that the person who needs to change is our spouse or our boss or our leader? In fact, the number one prayer that gets prayed in America today by believers and non-believers, non-believers pray this too, is, Lord, change my spouse Change my boss, change our leader, change my situation, God, change my kids, change that other person out there. What about you? Is there anything in your life that needs to change? Take responsibility. Don't just pray, Lord, change my. Pray, Lord, change me. 
It's the second step. Don't blame others. The third step is this. Put some structures in place. In other words, don't just pray and not take any action. If you want to have a closer relationship with God, if you look at some other people and you go, man, they just seem like they're so close to Jesus. They get through things in life that I don't know that I could ever get through. I want that. I want more intimacy with God. Start reading the Bible every day for 15 or 20 minutes. Start to come to church every weekend. Get involved in a small group. Your relationship with God will begin to change. You say, my marriage needs to change. Read a book like Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Start to go on a date night with one another. Go see a counselor. Pray together. Your marriage will begin over time to change. Got to put some structures in place. The fourth step is this. Find other people to hold you accountable. I have never seen somebody change without the help of another person. Identify that person. Who is that person that is going to help you change? Some of you need a mentor that you can meet with for breakfast and pray together and maybe study the Bible together. Some of you need an accountability partner. You need to call up a trusted friend and confess your sin and go, hey, I haven't told this to anybody, but I need to confess this to you. And I need you to hold me accountable not to do it again. Some of you need a sponsor that you can call when you're tempted, but who is that person that can help you change? And then here's the final and most important step. By faith, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Friends, I don't want to mislead you. People don't change on grit and determination alone. I have watched people, and they will say, oh, I'm going to change my life. And they start to try as hard as they possibly can. Fail every time. You need a power outside of yourself. You need a power that's greater than yourself. You need Jesus Christ. And when you receive him into your life by faith, the Bible says that you get something called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you don't see it, but you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. It's the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And you're going to notice that you're going to start being convicted of your sin. So there's going to be things that you're like, I was doing that for years and it never bothered me, and now it's bothering me. Well, that's the Holy Spirit in your life. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just convict you. He gives you the power to change, to become a new person. Each of my four kids at one point or another have tried to keep a caterpillar as a pet. And so we've looked up how to do that. And you stick it into a Tupperware with some leaves and weeds. And then you put it in the fridge so that it's cold and the caterpillar thinks it's time to hibernate until spring. Which is great, you know, because if you have friends over, you can be like, hey, go get yourself some food from the fridge. And they're like, hey, man, you got something moldy in here. No, that's our pets. We keep them in the fridge, right? So, but imagine that if you were a caterpillar that was going to become a butterfly. You're a big, fat worm. You just crawl around on the same leaf, the same plot of dirt, eating all the time. And then one day you eat too much, you take a nap, and when you wake up, it's like, shut up. <laughs> what goes through your mind? You were a big fat worm, and now you're flying through the air. You are a brand new creation. That's what the Bible says happens when you put your faith in Christ. That we are just fat on our sin, doing the same thing day after day, 
And then the Holy Spirit comes into our life and makes us a new person. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians about this. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. What is this old that is gone? Well, Galatians 5 gives us a partial list. It says sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasures, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. That's how many of us used to live. I certainly did. Before I was a follower of Christ, I got drunk, went to wild parties, had a desire for lustful pleasures. I was selfish in my ambitions, jealous, outbursts of anger. I mean, you name it. In fact, I remember one time I came home from college to visit my then girlfriend, now my wife, and I didn't know this, but she had planned on breaking up with me. She was a follower of Christ at that time. I wasn't, and she knew that wasn't going to work in a relationship, but she never told me anything about it. And so I got to her house, and she was on the phone with her friend, and I got jealous, and I had an outburst of anger. And I started yelling at her and swearing at her, which just made the whole let's be friends conversation very easy on her. The next night, my parents drove me back up to college. And we went out to eat at a Ciotti's restaurant. And right in the middle of the restaurant, this high school kid stands up and he begins to yell and swear at his girlfriend. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Right in the middle of the restaurant. And my first thought was, how do you become the kind of guy who would speak to your girlfriend that way? And my second thought was, you're that guy. And for one of the first times in my life, I realized I need to change. Maybe you're here today and God's doing something in your heart and you're going, you know what, I need to change. I cannot go on like this. I can't keep living like this, going there, doing that. I need to change. I went back to my dorm room that night, and Sarah had given me this little booklet, this little track about Jesus. I think it was kind of like, we're breaking up, you need Jesus, read this, okay? (laughs) And so I read it, and I discovered that my sin had separated me from God. I never knew that before. I didn't think my sin was really that big of a deal. But then I discovered that Jesus Christ had lived a sinless life. He didn't deserve to die, but he voluntarily died to take the penalty that our sins deserved. And that if we would put our faith and our trust in him, we could be forgiven of our sin and we could become a brand new person. Ephesians 4 says this. It says, throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life. Instead, you must display a new nature because you are a new person. This is what some of us need to do this week. You need to throw off your former way of life. You need to throw away that number. You need to stop hanging out with that group of friends. You need to burn the bridge so that there's no option of going back to the way that you used to live. And you need to step into, and you need to begin to live in the fact that you are a brand new creation in Christ. In fact, I want to invite you Would you join me in praying this week? Lord, change me. Pray it several times a day. Pray it when you wake up in the morning. Lord, change me. 
change that area of my life that needs to be changed, that I want to change, God. Begin to pray that in your life and then set up some structures, take some action, stand up and watch God change parts of your life. That's our prayer. Lord, change me. In fact, let's pray that right now. Would you join me as we stand together at all of our campuses? Hey, in two weeks, just so you know, we're starting a brand new series called One Life. And the Bible says that God would leave the 99 who are found to go find the one who is lost. It's going to be an incredible series to discover the mission of this church, the purpose of your life. You can't miss out on the purpose for which God has put you here on earth. The series is called One Life. It begins in two weeks. And then on Thanksgiving weekend, we are starting a series called What Keeps You Up at Night? I love that title. So many people have things that stress them out, make them anxious, and keep them up at night. If there is a person in your life who doesn't attend church or who needs a closer relationship with God, this is the series to invite them to. Thanksgiving weekend, what keeps you up at night? Let's pray together as we close. God, I thank you for each person that you brought to church today. And each person who may have stumbled across this message online, who has something in their life that needs to change. And they want to change, God. There's part of them that genuinely wants to change. It's just that they've tried and it hasn't worked. And so, God, right now we call upon your power. We call upon your spirit. Lord, would you change me? Would you change us, God? Would you go into those parts of our life, those areas of our life that hurt the people around us, that bring destruction, and would you change us, God? And God, we recognize it's not going to happen this week, it's not going to happen this month, or maybe even this year, but over the course of time, would you begin to do a work in our heart, and would you change us, God? And would you give us the wisdom and the courage to take some steps and put some structures in place that you can work through, God? And that will bring about that change. God, that is our prayer. Lord, change me. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything at all, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.